Okay, now it's recording. Oh, you have been recording all this time? Okay, and the story, the story continues. <laughs> it's 7.30. I'm going to get in trouble now for Mike. <laughs> I told you you had one job. <laughs> okay, the story continues. So just, just for further, for future reference, the red square has to be a square for it to be recording, not a circle. You can just sum up what we've learned so far. Mm -hmm. Standing on one foot? <laughs> Don't love your neighbor. <laughs> well, we, we talked about cliff notes earlier. so Yeah, exactly. We'll send you the knife. <laughs> so, another question. If, if you think sinful thoughts, but you don't act on them, are you a Russia? That's a rip. Okay, so, so be, behavior from a Tanya's perspective three, are, are, are three things thought, speech, and action. Thoughts. Speech and action. Thoughts. So speech. can you repeat your question one more time? If you think evil thoughts or sinful thoughts, but don't act on them. Okay, so there's two things there's thinking of sinful thoughts, and there's thinking about sinful thoughts. They're different. Yeah. You I don't choose what you think of. You choose what you think about. I would probably ask more like, I want to rob that bank, but I'm not going to do it. So, so if you <laughs> think, if a person thinks of sinful thoughts, they didn't make that choice, right? So just stop thinking about it. But if you're thinking, think about something else. If you're thinking about sinful thoughts, which is a choice that's intentional, you're facilitating the thoughts. Hmm. So that's a problem. And you're allowed to because you've got your different souls. So you're allowed to think about it, but as long as you intellectualize it and you use your head but, but and you, you don't act on it, then you're okay. But but thinking is an it can be as part of that action. You can't But it's think it's it. a start thing. But you can stop it by changing your thought pattern. Yeah, yeah, you have to start and yeah. Because you you can't be a, like superhuman. So you if you think you just have to recognize that that's happening. Well we could we could choose what we think about. We just can't choose what comes to mind. A tzaddik, in other words, I may not, I may want to sin, but I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to do it. A tzaddik won't even want to sin. It's not even an option. We're, we're, it's not an option. We're not at the point where we don't want to sin. We all want, we all want to indulge in one way or another, but we don't have to think about it, and that's a choice. And once we do think about it, or express it in, in, in uh, once we verbalize it, verbalize things we shouldn't, think about things we shouldn't, verbalize things we shouldn't, or do things we shouldn't. So at that point, it's all, it, either way, it's, it's, we've, we've crossed the line that we shouldn't have. At that point, we lost control. Now, is it considered technically a sin? I mean, it's a separate question. But, but in terms, in our context, in terms of losing control, it, it's the same thing. I lost control the moment that I dwelled on it. And it's just a question of how far I went. Did I say it? Did I do it? Or did I just think about it? But once I thought about it, I've, 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 uh, I'm not in control, but my emotions are. So this is a man will not commit a sin unless a delusional spirit enters him. So by so our purest you self... You say it's not my, my fault. There's just a, a, a spirit. 
Good, good, That's good, good. good. Then you take no responsibility for your actions. Well, the devil what? Made me do it. But we, in, we, yeah, exactly. The devil made me do it. But we, in, <laughs> we, we invited that delusional spirit, and we have the ability to get past it. So I'm, I'm, it's a good question. You're asking a very good question. That's actually what we're about. So th that's what the next section in Tanya, in our chapter 19, is about to address. How do I... I obviously have a choice because I'm, he I'm held accountable. So how do I get over this delusional spirit? I, I don't like this idea of this delusional spirit because then we're not in control of ourselves. And we're not in control of our soul and we're not in control because there's something else that's going to come and fight with us all. Good, okay, good, good, valid point. So let's take a look on the bottom of 225. And he, he qualifies. The part of us that's delusional, the part of this soul that becomes exiled because we're in sinning mode and out of control mode is more on a conscious level. The subconscious part of the soul is always is always there. So let's see what he says. However, the bottom of 225, however, this exile of the soul's component of Chachma, right, that's where the Bidlo comes from, is only true of Chachma's energizing influence on the rest of the body, but the root and core of the divine soul's component of Chachma remains untrapped in the brain and does not actually become exiled and enmeshed in the sackcloth garment of Klippa, which we refer to as a delusional spirit, in the heart's chamber. In English, the only part of the soul that is masked by this delusional spirit is the conscious part of the soul, the emotions, the intellect, but the essence, the root, the, the, is totally, uh, is totally, has total, uh, is still very much present. Um, in other words, this delusional spirit can only mask how I think and feel. It can never change who I am. So it can desensitize me. So I'm not thinking as a Jew and I'm not feeling Jewish and I'm not sensitive to Judaism, but I'm still a Jew. Because I'm not thoughts and feelings, I have thoughts and feelings. So although my thoughts and feelings are confused and... and um, masked by this delusional spirit, but there's a deeper part of me. The dormant. And, that, and that's the dormant love, right? He refers to as the Chachma, because the Chachma is that increase, that openness. Now, that Chachma, as we're going to say, is sleeping. If we jump down to the next bold paragraph in the middle of the book. Rather, with Rishaim, it's as if the Chachma were asleep, failing to have an effect on them. So it's not that our souls, our conscious selves, the way we think and feel, are masked. The essence of our souls, our inner innate <coughs> selves as Jews, it's very much present, it's just sleeping. And we'll, we'll soon see how to wake it up, but let's take a look at text one on our sheets here. This is an excerpt from a Hasidic discourse of Mimer, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, 1954. And this will help give context the next, um, to what we're discussing here. Um, who'd like to volunteer? Uh, I can do it. Okay, go for it. This delusional spirit can only conceal and hide aspects of the soul that are subject to the human psyche. 
which hinders our motivation to serve God from a rational perspective where there is a back and forth dialogue with the animal soul, delusional spirit. However, the part of the soul which is super rational, which is motivated to serve God by its essential connection, is not subject to being blinded by this delusional spirit at all, being that it is the Yehida level of the soul, which is part and parcel with God. Yehida means one. It's the part of the soul that's totally one with God. So when the delusional spirit masks us, when this animal soul masks us and blinds us, so now, on an emotional level or on an intellectual level, I, I, I lose sensitivity. But on an essential level, where I have my unconditional connection, I'm always connected. But you could go through your whole life without ever actually Accessing. realizing you're connected. Yes. It ta- yeah, it takes realization. It takes realization, for sure. 100%. Because like we said over here in the, in the whole paragraph, it's sleeping. It's sleeping, and it has to be woken up. So, so we're going to get to how you're going to wake it up. And how you, if you find somebody that's in a bad place, how do you fix them? That's a good question. I, I see that as two. I, I see that as two different questions. How do we wake someone else up? How do we wake ourselves up? Yes. I think it's two different ourselves things. Ourselves, we can understand because we learning about it and we want to wake up. But they do they have to want to wake up? Do they have to understand that it exists? Is it our duty to tell them it exists? No, for sure. For sure. That's why you have four thousand Chabad shluchim that move out to the most remote places. Those five thousand. <laughs> or five thousand, whatever it is. But 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 it's definitely it's everybody's obligation. You know, in 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 the Beit HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, there was lots of different services going on. And most of the services, with all the sacrifices and the offerings and the libations, most of it had to be performed by the Kohen. By Kohanim. There's one exception. The daily kindling of the menorah. The daily kindling of the menorah could be ignited by anybody. And the reason, and what that teaches is that when it comes to lighting a fire, and like we said earlier in our chapter, that the soul is compared to a flame that's always flickering. It has to be ignited. And when it comes to igniting another soul, it's not just the Cohen's job. It's not just the, the holy guy doing the service, leave it to the rabbi. It's all of our responsibilities. We all have that opportunity. And, and this is really what it's all about. This is really why we exist. It says in Hayom Yom, um, which we've quoted several times, Hayom Yom is a kind of like a calendar authored by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And it's like a short insight every day. Rabbi Resnick reads it after Shul on Shabbos afternoon. And in, in today's Hayom Yom, it says that the soul comes down to this world and it's been waiting for this opportunity. Oh, yeah. Since this your soul existed, it's been waiting in heaven to finally be sent on its mission on its shlichut, on its mission from God, so it could come down here and and inspire and bring God down to this world. So let me finish. So if that's the case, then what are we all waiting for? Exactly, that's how he ends up. And if our souls have been waiting, and this is what we really want, to share this, share this light, 
What are we waiting for? So definitely, we definitely have to share it. And, and, and we have to do two things. We have to awaken ourselves, we have to awaken others. And how do we do that? Bring our candle close to the others and come Okay, that's one way. Right, two Jews come together. You get three opinions, but you also get a stronger soul. Sounds right. like Kabbalah. <laughs> By example, living a, a life that's admirable, maybe. Okay, yeah. Leading by example is definitely um, a, a definitely a good way to do it. By People having, have a hard time being preached at, right? Maybe by having positive expectation and and just letting them know the connections. So, I, I definitely letting them know is a good start. And by the way, that's what we're doing right now. Right now, we're learning that this connection's here, and just by knowing that we have it. Now, are we going to feel it just by learning about it? Eventually we will, and we'll work on it, and it will take work, and we'll, we'll bring, and we'll have it. But at least we know. At least we're aware. At least we have that knowledge. It's like gives you the hope that that's not lost. Yeah. So, and if there's hope, then you can kind of go look for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so, being just aware is very impactful. The Rebbe used to say all the time, words that come from the heart, enter the heart. And if we can connect to this, in a very deep way, we can have a very easy time uh, sharing it with others. There was a famous rabbi, Rabbi Mendel Fritterfass, who was a, a big personality in the Chabad world um, in this past generation. He passed away about 20 years ago, 20 or less, or more, a little bit more. And he was a Russian Jew. He risked his life for Judaism. He was throw, He was sent to Siberia for practicing Judaism in communist Russia. He was in Siberia for over a decade. Is he the one that held the matzah for a year? Could be. I, I don't know. Could be. Um, I mean, just because I'm not familiar with the story, but, but um, he used to come to the United States often. He, had a, he was known to have a good sense of humor and a very upbeat attitude. And he was a special character. A lot of stories are told about him. Apparently including the matzo one. No. <laughs> um, I think it was him. I don't remember who told him. Mendel Futterfoss would come to the United States. He didn't speak a word of English. Eventually he lived in, in Kfar Chabad, which is a village in Israel where he worked in the yeshiva and taught. And he'd come to the United States often. And he had his film with him. He's on the streets of New York finding Jews. But he doesn't know a word of English. He probably good Hebrew, Russian, Yiddish. He sees Jews that aren't involved. And he says, Jewish, Jewish, Tefillin. And they say that he never got a no. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times where I go out there, hey, let's put on Tefillin, I'm okay. He, they say he never got a no. He wasn't very eloquent. Now imagine an old man with a huge white scruffly beard. Jewish, Jewish Tefillin. But he meant it. He had that, you know, it came from the soul. And they experienced that. They felt their soul. How could you say no? Um, so that's one way when we really, when it's really real to us, we can make it real to others. And, and that's, that's what we're doing here. It's like you said, being aware. Okay, another way, in our chapter though, the way he 
says it's awakened is just through situations. Unfortunately, tests, when our faith is tested, it all of a sudden wakes up. Because like we said in this chapter, the delusional spirit or the animal soul hides only the conscious part. The subconscious part, just sleeping. But and the subconscious part is our identity. So it's how we feel and think versus who we are, right? And the delusional spirit covers how I think and feel. But as soon as it affects my identity as a Jew, not just how I think as a Jew, but my identity as a Jew, it can't go any further than that. I, I wake up and I put my foot down and I say, not happening. And that's why you see tons of Jews throughout Jewish history that were not, did not have strong Jewish observance or passion toward Judaism, but when it came to their identity, all of a sudden they're, they're sacrificing themselves for, for a greater truth. Because all of a sudden it woke them up. And you know, there, there's tons of stories in, in, in the Holocaust. And, and we, I think I mentioned this story last time or maybe at a previous class where this, in the, a, a Nazi came to an individual, a Jew in the Holocaust, at gunpoint and said, curse God. And he said, I can't. Right? We said in chapter 18, can't be in any other way. We can't even, I just can't. He shot him in his leg. Guy falls down. He says, curse God. I'll take you to the hospital, to the infirmary. We'll fix you up. And if not, shoot your other leg. He kept, the story repeated itself. He kept on losing limbs. Eventually, he killed him. A near bystander started crying. And some other fellows came and said, why are you crying you know we're, we're we're desensitized we see this all the time he said this man was my father this victim and my father was a sworn atheist hmm. sworn atheist against god he literally could not curse god he couldn't to the point that his life depended on it because when it's philosophy okay my philosophy can get confused. My values can be confused. But when it comes to my identity, this isn't philosophy anymore. God, right before it was theologically, I don't believe in God. Or philosophically, I don't believe in God. But bottom line, I believe in God. To the point that that's my identity. It's who I am. I have that soul, which is part and parcel of them. And nothing could conceal that. So sometimes situations can bring that up. Right? There's times where... We're not necessarily feeling so passionate about our Judaism, or maybe we're not even thinking about it. But then somebody, we turn on CNN, we hear all um, anti-Semitic things and what's going on, and all of a sudden we feel riled up and passionate about Judaism, we feel defensive. Why do we feel so defensive? If we weren't so, if it wasn't on our mind so much beforehand, it's because it's our identity, it's not just philosophy anymore. It's not just ideas. Right? The synagogue and the books, prayers, tradition. Okay, these are all nice ideas, but as soon as it becomes our identity, the test will bring that out of us. The Hebrew word for test, nisayon, which also means to uplift. Also means what? To uplift. Oh. Nisa, to uplift. A test can uplift us beyond 
the conscious self and take us to a place where nothing can really hinder us anymore. So that's one way to awaken it. Awaken it. Now we pray every morning. No tests, God. Don't test me. We're not looking for tests, and I, and God forbid, and and God forbid that we should be tested. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's not what the Tanya is suggesting. But it is a reality that tests do bring that out of us. Another way to bring it out of ourselves is. It's basically the idea of connecting to our faith consciously. And that's through connecting to a real Jewish leader. Moshe Rabbeinu is referred to as the Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd. In, in a literal sense, he's the shepherd of the Jewish people and he's faithful. But a deeper understanding of that is that he actually shepherds within us faith. He feeds us with faith. The Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses feeds us with faith. And the Zohar says that this applies not only to literal Moses, but the Moses of every generation. In every generation there's a Moses. And the Moses' job, the job of a Jewish leader, is to inspire and to educate and to, and to feed people with faith. And when we can connect to the idea of, of a Rebbe, that's where faith comes from. And on a very practical level, learning the teachings of a Jewish leader. Where he's actually giving us the tools to, to uh, obtain this faith and obtain this connection and learning about this connection. In Deuteronomy, towards the end, or actually the beginning, Moses, Moshe says to the Jewish people, what else does God want from you other than to fear him? As if it's like an easy thing. And the Talmud actually says, wait a minute, is fear such an easy thing to obtain? And he's making it sound easy. What else does God want? That's all you got to do. Just fear God. Like, oh, that's it. And the Talmud answers, okay, granted it's difficult, but for Moses it was easy. And all the commentaries ask, okay, good. For Moses it was easy. Who cares? I'm not Moses. <laughs> He's preaching to me to do something that's easy for him, but I'm not him and it's not easy. And the commentaries respond that if you look in the exact verbiage of the, uh, of the Talmud, it doesn't say for Moses it's easy. It says, well, it, it says, legabe Moshe, Moshe, which translated as for Moses but it's also translated as next to Moses. We have to translate it properly. You can't trust translations. Next to Moses, it's easy. When we stand next to Moses, when we can follow Moses' path, and we can follow the path of the Moses of our, of, of our generation to be fed and to be open to being fed that faith, we can awaken, we can awaken our subconscious soul and, and become inspired. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then there's a third idea. The first one was... First one, the first one we said is learning about it, being aware of it. Okay. The second one we said is a situa situational things, okay. tests, Test. right? Okay. Which are relevant to our identity. The fourth, the third one is... Is, is, is a leader, a role model, right? A, uh, and a real Jewish leader, the idea of a Rebbe whose job is to feed us with faith through inspiration, through teachings, and, and, and more. 
and just through that soul connection. A fourth. He, he translates the, um, in this book as delusional spirit. But the literal translation is a spirit of folly. Shtus. Shtusim, we say in Hebrew, right? Shtusim, like nonsense. A spirit of nonsense, a spirit of folly, a spirit of foolishness. That's the literal translation. Sometimes our, we become blinded and desensitized and it's foolish. It's not even rational. And the way we combat that is actually by being irrational but in a holy way. Sometimes our, our, our evil inclination, our animal soul gets us and it's totally irrational. Just reaction, reactive. And the way we do this is not by reasoning, but by actually doing something out of our comfort zone that's in line with the godly soul, even if it's irrational. This past Shabbos, there was a, uh, a speaker at Chabad. Do you remember his name? The, the, the security officer. Oh. Um, the one who stands at the door of the no, no, no. This, so this guy's a from Vacaville. Yeah, he's a he's a one of the he's a sheriff of Sonoma County, and he's Jewish, and he's very into security. And he came to Chabad to give a talk, you know, for the for the monthly speaker. I'll, I'll Google him. Okay, we'll check him. Two times ago. Must have been two weeks. A couple Shabbos. It wasn't last Shabbos. No. It was two times ago. Okay, I have a gap in my mind. So I was there last Shabbos, and there wasn't a speaker. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh, time flies. Contra Costa or Solano? Solano. I think it's Sol Solano or Sonoma or no, no Solano. Solano. Yeah, every the first of the, okay. I don't. That's so funny. I like a gap the in my mind. Because the next day after the Rosh Chodesh women's event or the the weekend. Uh huh. Uh huh. So he was speaking, and he he was telling his he's Jewish. He was telling his story. His his um you know he has a. a renewed interest in Judaism and inspiration in Judaism. And he attributes that to the Chabad rabbi that he's close with now. And he said his story was, he got, being that he's a sheriff, he gets a call from the Chabad rabbi, from Rabbi... Um, Zaklos. Rabbi Zaklos. And Rabbi Zaklos says, look, we're a Jewish center, we're a target, and you may understand from the news what the Jews are under and what's happening in Poway, and we're, we want advice on security. And he's telling him how Jews... He says, okay, I'm going to admit to you, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Rabbi Zakhlas shows up at his office. <laughs> Walks in. And they're talking. And he says, Rabbi Zakhlas says, let me ask you a question. This guy's in his suit and tie or, or in his uniform or whatever his uniform is. is and Rabbi Zakhlas says, I need to ask you a question. He says, have you ever experienced dancing rabbis? What? He says, No. He says, now you have. He picks him up. He starts dancing with him. <laughs> showing him the real joy of Judaism. Irrational. Totally irrational. He says, all of the people in the office, he says their heads are sticking in the door like a totem pole. A bunch of heads just like, what is going on? He wraps him up in tefillin. He wasn't contemplating. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't trying to reason. He just stepped in and just did it. And this guy is hooked. The guy is hooked. Sometimes we just need to, to access that soul, just doing something incredible, way beyond our comfort zone. There's a story, a beautiful story in the Talmud. 
discusses the mitzvah of dancing for a bride and groom at a wedding, very special mitzvah. And it says one of the sages of, and leaders of the generation back then would take three myrtle branches and would juggle them on the dance floor. And the other rabbis expressed that they were embarrassed of him. You know, you're making us rabbis look clowny. <laughs> you know, picture a guy with a long coat and a hat and a big gray white beard. You know, you're supposed to look serious. You're supposed <laughs> you know, you play the part, they were telling you. You're not playing the part well enough. He's juggling, he looks like a clown. He's trying to make the, bring joy. And he ignored them. When he died years later, the Talmud says a pillar of fire came and illuminated his grave, which was known to happen very to very few people. And it was, it was a spe an occasion of a special person. And they're trying to examine his life. What did he do? What did he do that was so unique, so special? And they said, ah, it was this shtus of this rabbi. That's what the Talmud says, shtus. It was the folliness, the foolishness that he did. But the foolishness, his acting irrational, but not in an unholy way, because that's just reactive, but in a, in a holy way. Just do it. There's times where our Judaism just needs to be totally celebrated and totally embraced. And, and not even ask, just don't ask questions. Yes, I'm feeling insensitive. Yes, I'm not interested. Yes, this delusional spirit, the spirit of folly is masking me and I just don't get it. And there's times where we just need to climb beyond that and just, just do it. Just let go and do it. And we'll feel that soul. We will. We'll get there. And I, I, I think text three here in our sheets is a beautiful compliment to this. Um, we've read this several classes ago, but we'll read it again. We'll read it again. Um, we got a volunteer? Okay. Go for it, David. There are two ways the godly soul uh, toils in its interaction with the animal soul, with an antagonistic approach or a pleasant approach. The antagonistic approach is based on reason and intellect. For, in, for example, getting into a dialogue and debate with the animal soul and explaining to him that a life of godliness is in their best interest. Since this is coming from a rational perspective, this leaves room for the animal soul to impose its view. The pleasant approach does not entail entering any dialogue or debate. Rather, uh, debate rather, he approaches with uh, approaches the with. This is a typo. He approaches with insistence. With insistence with a strong will and pleasure in a life of god godliness because it cannot be any other way. It, this approach is generally done by increasing in positive action, increasing light, without even leaving space for negativity and klipa in the first place, as they are irre irrelevant. So if we try to dialogue, try to debate, try to rationalize. You know, the spirit of this foolish spirit, this delusional spirit is not rational. So sometimes it just won't work. Or sometimes it is rational and we're just going to, we'll win the debate, but we'll lose the debate, you know. 
we're convinced that this is the right path and then we're convinced other times it's not the right but if it's not dependent on our intellectual or emotional conviction it's dependent on our essential connection and it, it can't be any other way we got to just do it then you know sometimes it's just letting go and it, you know, it's so hard, it, it's so easy and fun to, to talk about it and learn about it. <laughs> when push comes to shove, when we're feeling that delusional spirit, we're feeling insensitive to just do it. It's so hard. But the more we learn about it, the more we have this in the back of our minds, the more we have this in the back of our hearts, and the more we can, the easier we can implement it. Because it becomes more real when we study it. It's not just the rabbi telling you, do it, do it, do it. So, so yeah. ideally, if you increase the light without leaving space for negativity, that's, that's the way to do it. That's it, because basically you won't get it if you're not in a bad space. Yeah. You have to keep yourself in a good space. In other it's words, when, when, we peak, when we get ourselves into that space, we didn't, I don't know if we, we didn't necessarily destroy the delusional spirits. That delusional spirit's irrelevant. It was never there. It's like Yom Kippur. It's not just that we're forgiven for sins. The sin never happened. New slave. It's a part of ourselves where the sins, the stains on our souls are, just don't matter to God because He sees us for who we are. You, you told the story of when um, we're having the fight against the city get the permits and then at one point Rabbi Resnick just said, just let go. Let go. Put it in God's hands. Yeah. And, it all, and it all clicks into place. Okay, so the last part of this chapter. The, the goal of this chapter was to better understand the experience of this dormant love. It's this essential, unconditional connection where I'm Jewish not just because of how I think and feel or how I was educated, but because of who I am, which leads to a great passion where the delusional spirit is irrelevant. And now we're going to explain how, you know, where does fear of God fall into place? There's love of God, from the, but where does fear come into place? And he says, the fear is respect, but what am I respecting? I'm respecting the relationship. Because I have this love, this connection to God, I don't want to cloud it up. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to, get, I don't want to ruin this connection. I'm honoring the relationship. That's fear. In other words, fear of God is not, if I sin, I'm going to be struck with a lightning bolt. It's if I sin, I will become desensitized in my relationship with God. Fear of severing the connection? Fear of severing the connection. I, I love God. I honor this relationship. I respect the relationship. The first chapter is we learned about the relationship between people, because everyone's got God in them and everything, and God's in everyone. So that relationship needs to be... You need to be grounded in all your relationships. So it has to apply to people as so well, respect and relationships. Because, because God is everything and everyone, and it's in all the Jewish people as well. You know, someone who you truly love, you respect the relationship, you honor the relationship as well. Yeah. And, and keep so it you sacred. you start grounded and then you can move out. And yeah, definitely. And it's the same with God. We keep the relationship sacred. Um, because we don't want to sever it. Just like in a healthy marriage, we don't look and we, we, we keep our eyes focused in a healthy marriage. In a healthy relationship with God, we keep our eyes and hearts focused in, in the right thing, in the right place. So that's where fear falls into the, you know, the fear is included within the love. 
the fear results from love. Fear, reverence is a better word. I revere and hold this relationship in high regard because I'm connected and I, I, I love God and I love that connection. I have that commitment. What's the Hebrew word for, for fear? Yura. Yura. Yura? Yeah. And is, is it translated as fear or is it translated as reverence? It's, it? it's often translated as fear. Okay, the literal translation is awe. Yeah, which awesome. is more reverence than fear. I don't know where fear... I mean, I guess there's a fear. Awe is a better... Tra- it's often translated by people as fear. You know, in school we used to translate it as fear, but it's... Like an overwhelming... But it's more of a... That's... Yeah, it's... It, I guess it shares qualities, emotional qualities that fear has. But I don't think it's actual fear. Awe and reverence. Translated into Russian or Yiddish or German, was it fear? Did, did, did they use the word fear, I wonder? I wonder. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. That's a good question. Spanish. I don't know. I just wonder if the English, which, you know, Here Christians is. probably did it originally. Yeah, especially, you know, you know, Catholicism has a lot of dread and fear to it. Right. Definitely, and a lot of guilt to it. But but it's, it's, it's odd. It's... You know, a, a respect, a reverence, and because I love God, because we love God, because we have that strong, innate connection. Well, if, if you were walking on the street and there was some stranger that walked past you, you would just keep walking. But then, if you suddenly saw like, uh, you know, a very famous person or, or leader of a country walk by, you would suddenly, you would change your posture and. You would, <coughs> so, so yeah, if you. So fear does have, or, or awe, respect, has that, has the, uh, will do that to us. When we love, because we love God, we hold Him in high regard, we revere the relationship. So we'll, we'll put ourselves in line. Not necessarily in terms of posture, but in other areas where we need to straighten ourselves up in, in, in our relationship with Him. Right? And pick up our observance or, or, or whatever it is. Good point. Very valid point. That's the story, my story, and I'm sticking to it. On that note, do you remember him? That's him. John, John, Sheriff Sergeant John Mazur. There we go.